Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Some of you I know have seen uh, a little bit of what we're going to be doing in the next little while. You've seen something on Facebook, you've seen some announcements. We actually have a little subtle thing uh, for you. We were trying to get across uh, a little idea for you. And we've tried to make it even small, like even subliminal in some way. That host maybe sometime over the course of the summer, you're going to catch a, a little bit of what the message is. And we've, we want you to see that. So this morning is a, a great morning. It's a, a morning of celebration. We've been celebrating Canada Day. I know many of you celebrated Canada Day in different ways. Some of my neighbors celebrated Canada Day late into the night, and uh, I think they had a good time. It sure sound like it from the sirens. <laughs> but we, uh, we all celebrated Canada Day, and uh, it's, it's wonderful to be able to do that together and to see that happening across our nation and to be able to realize that God has given us a glorious land and we are thankful for that and we can celebrate that. Some of you have been celebrating Canada Day for many years. Anybody at, was anybody at um, Confederation in Charlottetown? Anybody? <laughs> Just wondered if anybody had been celebrating that for 150 years. That would be exciting if someone was here uh, in that situation. Well, my name's Glenn. I'm one of the pastors here at Temple and it's my privilege to begin this new summer series. We want you to catch uh, this idea that God is on the move. The plan is to look into the book of Genesis. And if you have a Bible, uh, or if you have an electronic device, so you can find your Bible on that, turn to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. We're gonna look at the first, second, and third chapters. And we're gonna try to uh, just sort of hop on a few of the highlights as we go through it. We want something to happen this summer. We hope to show you in many ways that God is certainly on the move that he is working. We want you to know that he knows what he's doing and that everything he does, he does with a purpose. This morning, you already heard, we're gonna talk about the idea that God moves through relationship. We're gonna look at that. We're gonna have a few points that are up on the screen and you can follow those along as well. First thing I want you to know is that God started it all. In Genesis chapter one, if you wanna read through those verses uh, over the next few minutes or uh, later today when you get home, look through those things and you can see one specific thing that jumps out at me. It's the fact that God is active. God is active. In fact, 32 times in those opening verses of the Bible, it says something about an activity of God. It says that God said that let there be light, that God said let this happen, then God created, God saw, God uh, blessed, God made, God called, God separated. He says all of these things, God is an active God. Skip down to verse 26, we're gonna read this for just a moment and then we're gonna come back to it in a moment. After God created all those uh, days of creation, he created all that is around, all that is, all that we can see and all that we've been trying to discover for thousands of years. God created all of those. And then down in verse 26, after having said, let there be light and let there be this and let there be waters and let there be animals and let the oceans be filled with uh, fish, let them be teeming, let all these things happen. Then verse 26, he, the, the Bible changes its language a little bit. It starts off in verse 26 where it says, God says, let us make man, mankind, in our image. 
in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. He said, let us make man in our image. We're gonna look at that in a moment. But back, uh, let's move ahead to chapter two because it's gonna give us some more information. First chapter talks about in the beginning and in the beginning God. After all of creation has happened, chapter two, he gives a a little bit more detail. He says that uh, God has planted a garden in the east, he called it Eden. And there he put man that he had formed and God made all kinds of trees to grow in the ground, uh, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's significant because we're gonna get back to that. And that's what he created. And then it says in uh, verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're to eat, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat, you will surely die. And I used to think, I remember when I was young, I used to think that it was kind of unfair of God to make that tree of knowledge of good and evil and then tell Adam that he couldn't eat from it. In fact, I remember thinking, why would God put it in the middle of the garden and then say you can't have it? But, and I used to sort of, in my mind, I created, and you know, we always create things in our mind, little pictures of what it must have been like. I used to picture the Garden of Eden as this wonderful thing, wonderful place. And there was somehow, in a a separate open area, just in the middle of the garden, the very center of the garden, there was one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And somehow I thought that God had some special lighting on it, and it would light up, and there would be angels singing around it all the time. And then God said, that special one, you can't eat from that one. But that's not really what the case is. It just means in the middle, in the midst of the garden, among all the other places, there was a a specific tree that God said don't eat from. You and I know what human nature is. You and I know that if you and I were in that situation, we would be wondering about that one tree. There might be hundreds, even thousands of other trees. Imagine if you had a child and you said there are, uh, you take him into a candy room. And he said, this room is filled with candy, all different types of candy. And you can have any type of candy that you want, just except for this one. I just want to point this one out to you. Uh, You're not allowed to have that one. What is human nature? What is a kid, what is your kid going to do, right? They might wait until you leave. Some of the compliant ones, they'll say, okay, mom, okay, dad, I won't have any. I'll try some of these smarties over here. And as soon as you leave, they're going to start to wonder. I wonder what that is like. wonder why I wasn't allowed to have that. It's a little bit, that's the way I picture it happening in the Garden of Eden. God said that I'm giving you all of these things and you can have all of them, but just this one you're not allowed to have. And then I started wondering as I got older, thinking, well, why would God sort of set mankind up for failure? I used to think that. I used to think, why would he even make the tree at all? Because if he knew and he promised if in the day that you eat, you're gonna die. And if he didn't want mankind to die, why create the tree at all? And then I realized it's because God wanted mankind to have a choice. If there was no tree of the knowledge of good and evil, mankind would not have a choice to obey God. There would not be an opportunity to disobey and therefore they wouldn't have the choice to obey. And so God made that because he wanted to give them a choice. The Lord said, uh, read these next few verses with me as we skip down in that, in that chapter. 
I just wanted you to see from verse 18, the Lord said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And verse 22, I want to read this carefully. The Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the next verse, verse 23, and the man said, wow. That's it's actually an accurate translation from the original Hebrew. But the man, it was, she was presented and he responded in a, in a wonderful way. And I want you to see that God made mankind, man, God made man and God made woman. And we want to look back at verse 20, 26 of, of chapter 1. As we've gone through this, we sort of set things up the way things are supposed to be, the way God had created them. Now look at chapter 1, verse 26. It says, when he made God, when God made man, uh, Adam and Eve, mankind, man and woman, it says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. That's the only part of creation that he said that particular thing about. Only mankind, only man and woman, are the only ones that are made in the image of God, the only ones that are made in the likeness of God. And so there must be something different, something special about people. People are the only ones created in God's image. They're the image bearers of God. Not plants, not animals, no sun, moon, or stars, or anything else in all creation. So you have to ask, what does it mean? What does it mean that humanity is made in the image of God? If you look around, every person that you see in this room, one thing is true of all of us, that you and I, each one of us, are made in God's image. We're made in his likeness. Humanity is, neat, is unique among all of creation. Having the image or the likeness of God means in some way that we are made to resemble God. An image of something is made to resemble that. The likeness of something is made to resemble the thing about which it is made. And God said, let us make man to resemble us. We find out that God is spirit, and so we must not be talking about the physical attributes of mankind. He's talking about the immaterial part of humanity. This image of God refers to the immaterial part of humanity and it sets humans apart from the rest of creation. It fits them for the dominion that God has intended them to have over the earth. And this is the one I wanted to look at this morning. It enables them to commune with their maker like nothing else in all of creation. Since we are made to resemble in some way, made in God's image, made in his likeness, part of the reason that we are made that way is so that we could commune with our maker. It's a likeness uh, mentally and morally and socially, and I wanted to look specifically at this social likeness that we have. It reflects God's nature and God's love. We were made to be in relationship first with God. And you see that with Adam and God in creation, in the Garden of Eden. They, they were made, God, was, God made Adam to commune with him. God made Adam and Eve to commune with God. That's how and that's why they were created. And I think it's important that we understand that. I think that's why many people struggle with purpose and meaning of life. Why am I alive? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? What's my purpose? If we understood this verse a little bit more deeply, verse 26 of the very first chapter of the Bible, 
If we understood it a little bit, in, in a little bit more depth, we would understand that the reason we were made was to commune with our maker. It's not about what we do. It's not about what we accomplish. It's not about who we know. It's not about our level of influence. It's not about any of those things. If we understood that uh, our value is based on the fact that God created us in his image, that we have value already before accomplishing or in spite of not accomplishing anything, we have value because of how God has made us in his image. He has made us to commune with him. And he's also made us in a social sense to commune with others, other image bearers. That means each one of us. And I paused about this over the last few weeks and I asked myself, I had to ask myself the question because this is so significant. I asked myself, how do I see other people? Do I see them as image bearers of God? Do I see that they were made and created in the likeness of God? Or do I skip that part and I see them in a different light, in a different way? Because if I really understand that not only am I made in God's image, but everybody is made in God's image. It might cause me to act in a different way. And I thought for myself, and I'm sure that everybody else here is an exception. I'm probably the only one that's in this situation. The way to drive it home for me was in traffic. And I thought, when I'm driving in traffic, do I see everybody else as an image bearer of God? Do I see that every other person behind the wheel of another vehicle is made and formed in the likeness of God himself? And if I did, would I change things and how I, because I realized we all want people to drive the same way we do. Because we would be happy that way, right? We want someone to brake before they signal because that's what we think they should do. Or we think that someone should speed up to get on the on-ramp. Or we should, um, we should make sure, we should think that people should pay attention to the lights so that they should go when it's green and they should stop when it's red and they should let us go when we're in a hurry. All of those things, right? We just sort of think that everybody should drive the same way that we do. But I've realized that there's two groups of drivers out there when I, when I look at everybody and how they drive. There's a group that drives faster than I do and I have a name for them. And there's a group that drives slower than I do, and I have a name for them as well. And I find it interesting that I don't really look at, I look at everybody out there as, as a barrier to getting from me getting to where I wanna go. And I have a tendency to think that there's two types of drivers out there, idiots and morons, right? Those who, <laughs> those who drive faster than me, I, I talk about them. Right? I talk about them in my car. I talk about them. I say, look at that guy, the idiots, right? The ones that go faster than I do. Man, look at that guy. Look at him go. Like, that's crazy. Doesn't he know? Doesn't he see? Can he sell? I like all those guys that drive. And then the ones that drive slower than me, the morons, that's what I, I look at them and I, I, I don't talk about them. I talk to them. <laughs> right? I say, okay, it's green. You can go now. Right? Get it going. Right? Like, or I remember uh, the one time, I remember the, come on, one time. Um, there was a time I remember saying often to somebody, oh, I got to tell that guy, I should stop that guy and let him know that his blinker's broken because he obviously, you know, he means to let me know where he's going, but it must be broken. And I, and I keep, and I go back to the idea of those people behind those wheels are made in God's image. Maybe I shouldn't have, um, maybe I shouldn't have two categories of different drivers that are out there. Maybe there should be just one. 
those who, may, who are made in God's image and God's likeness? Would it change? And I was challenged about this this week. Uh, in fact, this morning, I was uh, trying to leave my street. I was waiting patiently at the stop sign. There was one person coming down the road to my left, and uh, she was coming at a certain speed, and I thought, I'll just wait till she goes by. And then she started slowing and slowing, and so I checked for turn signals, no, no, no signals, no indicators happening. And I thought, now I don't know what she's doing. I better slow, I better wait. And then she turned the same street that I was waiting on. Um, and I could have gone a long time ago, like eight seconds ago, right? I could have gone. <laughs> I, I could have saved so much time. And I remember actually this morning not shaking my head, not saying anything to her in my, in my helmet as I was riding my motorcycle, not doing anything. You know why? Because I was aware of what the preacher was talking about this morning. That's, that's the only reason why. And I think we need to stop for a moment and realize it's, it might be easy for us to understand that we are made in God's image and to treasure that. Because we can find value in ourselves. We can find a whole lot of inspiration. But we also need to look at everybody else and see that they also were made in the image and likeness of God. It might change the way we think. It might change the way, it might change the way I drive. So first of all, we need to understand that God started it all. And next I want us to see is that after he gave it to us, that we broke it. And I am saying we in the sense of Adam and Eve, but we are in their lineage and we are as culpable as they are. Look at chapter three of Genesis. Start talking about what's happening in the garden. In uh, verse one, it talks about the serpent. And it says the serpent was a certain type of serpent, more crafty than any of the wild animals that Lord had made. And then you skip down the next verse. Um, oh, sorry, at the end of that first verse, the serpent comes up, to, comes up to Eve and asks a question. But it's a question that's worded in a certain way. And I can see how this happens in my life. Satan comes up to her and says... Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from that tree? Just questions. And I find that happens in my life. But look at what happens here. He says, did God really say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman uh, says to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. If you touch it, it says, do not touch it and you will die. That's not exactly what God had said, but Eve sort of changed it a little bit. And I think Satan must have known that he's sort of gotten a, a foothold because he goes to the next step and he, and he challenges what God has said. He says, you won't, you certainly, you, you won't die. First he says, did God really say? And then he, says, he challenges what God said. You're, you're not gonna die. And then he's gonna give us a reason. He says, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and that you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That you will be like God. It seems like they might have already forgotten that they were made in God's image, that they were already made in his likeness, and yet they're tempted. And look at what the woman does. The woman saw, the woman took, the woman ate, and the woman gave. Saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye. Saw that it was good to have that knowledge that the serpent had promised to her. She took some and she ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the man, and it says next, the man and, and the wife, they heard God. They heard God in the garden coming. And 
in response. They did something different that they had never done before. They hid from him. Normally that wasn't the case, but here, now, after they've done what they've done, they were afraid. They hadn't been afraid before. But now after they've done what they've done, they hid, they've never hidden before. And something has changed. And the Lord God, it says in that chapter, calls out, where are you? Where are you? And Adam answers, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. And then God asks a, a penetrating question. He asks a question, and it sounds like a, a parent asking a penetrating question, the parent who already knows the answer. You know, some of you parents, you're in a situation where you know one of your children has done something wrong. And you know all the details. You know all about it. But you know that they don't know that you know. Right? You often know stuff that they don't realize that you know. And you ask questions to find out whether or not they're going to tell you the right answer. God says to Adam, have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? It's a simple question. Did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat from? He, spends, he says a lot of words before he answers the question. He eventually says that I ate it, but he says first, the woman. Why? There's only one other person around to blame it on, so you gotta, you gotta blame it on somebody, right? And so she says, he goes, the woman, the woman. And then I think this is an affront to God himself, almost blaming God. He says, the woman that you gave me and you, I just think, Adam, you be careful. You're not in the seat of strength right now, right? You see, he says, the woman that you gave me, she gave it to me and I ate. That's incredible. Now, God doesn't address all the things that he said was wrong. In fact, he just turns to Eve. He turns to Eve and he asks that question. The Lord said, what is it that you've done? What have you done? And so the woman looking around, realizing there's nobody else to blame, sees the serpent that tempted her and said, the serpent, and tried to blame the serpent. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Part of being made in the image of God means that we have the freedom to make choices. Adam and Eve both made an evil choice. They marred the image of God within them and passed that damaged likeness on to all of their descendants including us. Romans 5 verse 12 says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. It seems as though Adam is the one that bears the responsibility. It says that sin came into the world through one man, referring to Adam. It seems as though he bears the responsibility, even though he was quick to try to blame somebody else. Mentally, morally, socially, physically, we bear the effects of sin. Today, we still bear the image of God, but we also bear the scars of sin. In James chapter three, James is writing to people about the tongue. And he says, some of the things that you do should not happen. With, with the same tongue, with, the, with your tongue, you bless God. You praise God, the one who made you. And with the same tongue, you curse man who is made in his likeness. These things shouldn't be, he says in James chapter three. We all bear the effects and show the effects of sin. 
So first, we see God started it all. Next, we see that there is something that happened and it's the fact that we broke it. But third, I think it's super important for us to spend moments today looking at that God had a rescue plan. It says in that next part of chapter three, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed you are above all. And he curses the serpent. And then he says something that's so significant in chapter three, verse 15. He says, and I will put enmity, conflict, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He says there will be conflict between mankind and Satan. There will be conflict, but he also promises something, and it's right here in the the very moment when mankind disobeyed, when mankind broke what God made, when mankind scarred the very likeness and image that they were created in. At that very moment, he showed, he, he 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 wrote the first few notes of the song of redemption. And I think with the possible exception of John 3.16, in this verse, the Bible, uh, no other verse in the Bible is more crucial and more definitive than this, John, Genesis chapter three and verse 15. Why? And I think it's because it establishes the principle that runs through the whole Old Testament. It's creating an expectation of a redeemer who would be a descendant of Adam and Eve. There's an expectation that started right there right there in the garden. It establishes the parameters by which God will redeem his people. He said, he gave hints of how this was gonna happen. The first note of God's redemptive intention following the sin of Adam and Eve. Let's stop and realize what God did not do. When Adam and Eve failed, what did he not do? He did not destroy them. It was his prerogative, and yet he didn't. He did not destroy them, but instead, he revealed his grace. Even there, in the first pages of God's word, it's revealed that he revealed his grace to them by promising a savior. Incredible God that we have. There's an expectation of of wonder I think we can understand more and more as we look in these passages that redemption is promised. Redemption is only available by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And God moved at the very beginning. He created all the things that are here. He created you and I in his image and we have broken it with our sin. Adam and Eve were first and we continue to break it with our sin. And yet God at the very beginning promised It's not always gonna be like that. I've got a solution to that problem. It seems as though he was ready with the solution before the problem ever came. And there's, there's hints of that in the New Testament. It says even before the foundation of the earth, before God even created what he created, he had prepared his son to be the sacrifice for my sin. And I sometimes wondered, why would God have started this? If he knew we were gonna break it all, why start? If he knew it was gonna cost him his son, the sacrifice of his son, why begin all of this? But it's part of why we were created. We were created to commune with our maker. An incredible thing that God has done. Just to wanna remind you of a couple of verses. 
In Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, it talks about our salvation. And it says, it's by grace that you have been saved. That means it's God's move that causes, that allows our salvation. God is the one who gives us this gift of salvation. He's the one that acts so that we can be saved. It's by grace you've been saved, through faith. Simple trust in Jesus Christ. Simple trust in what God has done. And he says, be careful, it's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works, not by anything that we can do. Adam and Eve didn't, didn't get any pardon because of what they did, but they got a promise of a savior, a redeemer that was to come in spite of what they did. And then verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. He's created us. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared for us in advance to do. Through Christ, we are made new creations in the likeness of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, just wanted you to see that verse, and I know it's familiar to so many of you. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. A new creation. That's hearkening back to the very opening pages of Scripture where it says that God created all and God created you and I in his image. And he says, even though sin happens, even though the people who I've made in my image and formed them in my likeness, even though they disobey and even though they sin, God through his grace grants us a redeemer that we can receive simply through faith. And if we do that, then we become a new creation, a new creation. He doesn't just fix us. He doesn't just sort of polish us up, doesn't give us just a little paint job to cover up the rust, doesn't do any of that. He says, no, you're a new creation when you're in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful, powerful, mighty God that we have. God is the one who is on the move. 